0: Chapter One of Organic Evolution. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Organic Evolution by Richard Swan Lull. Chapter One History of Evolution. Part Two. Lamarck born 1744 died 1829 was one of the most remarkable as well as one of the most pathetic figures in evolutionary history a man of brilliant attainments yet because of ideas which failed to meet the approval of the influential cuvier and because of his own blindness and poverty he suffered social ostracism for what he thought to be the truth and only received a tardy appreciation years after his death. The work of Lamarck as a philosophical zoologist parallels that of Erasmus Darwin so closely that it would almost seem as though the latter must have been the inspiration, if not the source, of Lamarck's thought. The possibility of this, however, is stoutly denied by Packard, who states emphatically that lamarck was in no way indebted to erasmus darwin for any hints or ideas charles darwin notes the similarity when he says it is curious how largely my grandfather dr erasmus darwin anticipated the views and erroneous grounds of opinion of lamarck it is the latter's philosophie zoologique published in 1809 which parallels darwin's zoonomia most closely and contains the final statement of the author upon his evolutionary hypothesis which was never developed beyond this point lamarck's theory of the evolution of animals was not that change was the result of the direct action of the environment but that the latter acted on internal structure through the nervous system herein he agrees with erasmus darwin darwin went still further however since he thought that plants could also react to environmental stimulus through their sensibility lamarck on the other hand thought that plants were directly influenced by their surrounding conditions so that while agreeing with the elder darwin in regard to animal evolution his views on that of plants were in accord with those of buffon either theory however depending as it does upon the changes wrought upon the individual implies the inheritance of acquired characters a thing which lamarck assumed and never tried to prove and as we shall see the whole fabric of his theory rests upon the possibility or impossibility of this one point, whether the new characteristics impressed upon the organism during its lifetime can be transmitted to its young. Among the notable contributions of Lamarck to the science which concerns itself with living things were the term biology, a word coined simultaneously by Treveranus, whereby that science is now designated his conception that species vary under changing conditions the theory of the fundamental unity in the animal kingdom and the idea of a progressive and perfecting development of animals and plants this last he says is due to a certain order originally imposed upon nature by its author which is manifest in the successive development of life he denied however any idea of a perfecting principle in nature in diametric opposition to cuvier's teaching lamarck denied all catastrophes in geology or sudden changes in organic life but was an advocate of the uniformitarian school WHICH BELIEVED IN GRADUAL CHANGE WITHOUT ANY SHARP BREAKS EITHER IN THE CONTINUITY OF TERRESTRIAL HISTORY OR IN THE EVOLUTION OF ANIMALS AND PLANTS. ALL THAT IS NEEDED TO EFFECT ANY EVOLUTIONARY CHANGE, HE HELD, IS MATTER, SPACE, AND TIME. Lamarck also gives us the first real conception of the tree of life, or phylogeny. All classifications before his time had been simply a numerical succession of zoological groups arranged one above another in lamarck's earliest attempt published in 1802 he uses the vertical scale which osborne compares to a fir tree with central stem and radiating branches but in 1809 he had arrived at the true conception of life as a tree branching from the roots into larger and smaller stems in a later attempt in eighteen fifteen his tree is still branching and he has realized the apparent isolation of the vertebrates which present-day authorities are at a loss to connect with their invertebrate ancestry WITH THE DEVELOPMENT OF HIS TREE OF LIFE CAME THE CONCEPTION OF EXTINCTION OF PAST RACES OF ANIMALS AND PLANTS. THIS Lamarck CLEARLY UNDERSTOOD AS APPLIED TO THE LOWER GRADES OF ORGANISMS, BUT HE COULD NOT IMAGINE HOW SO PERFECT A BEING AS A MASTODON COULD POSSIBLY BECOME EXTINCT EXCEPT THROUGH THE INTERFERENCE OF MANKIND he thought that as the lower forms evolved into higher or became extinct they were replaced by the increasing creation of new beings the persistence of certain primitive types was perplexing but was explained by the apparent fact that in their own peculiar environment there had been but little change and changing conditions were a sine qua non of evolution in summing up lamarck's work one must account for the smallness of his influence upon evolutionary thought for he had but a single follower in all france locally cuvier's prestige and his own blindness which rendered his retirement necessary were largely responsible as osborne says lamarck as a naturalist exhibited exceptional powers of definition and description while in his philosophical writings upon evolution his speculation far outran his observations and his theory suffered from the absurd illustrations which he brought forward in support of it his critics spread the impression that he believed animals acquired new organs simply by wishing for them His really sound speculation in zoology was also injured by his earlier and thoroughly worthless speculation in chemistry and other branches of science. Another marked defect was that Lamarck was completely carried away with the belief that his theory of the transmission of acquired characters was adequate to explain all the phenomena. He did not, like his contemporaries, erasmus darwin and goethe perceive and point out that certain problems in the origin of adaptations were still left wholly untouched and unsolved his arguments are in most cases not inductive but deductive and are frequently found not to support his law but to postulate it Lamarck's place among scientists is not yet really established. He was undoubtedly a naturalist of the first rank, but, as an evolutionist, although he later gained, especially in America, a large following, he cannot yet be placed, as the crucial point in his whole theory is still sub E. Geoffroy saint Born 1772, died 1844, another Frenchman and a contemporary of Lamarck, was not, however, his follower, but rather a disciple of Buffon, going back to the old factor of direct environmental influence as the sole cause of evolution. He anticipated a much later writer, de Vries, by teaching that transmutation or the change from one species to another might be by sudden leaps or saltations a theory which was in direct opposition to lamarck's belief in the slow deliberation of the process st believed however that these leaps took place not in the adult but in the embryo Quote, hence the underlying causes of sudden transformation were profound changes induced in the egg by external influences accidents as it were regulated by law as a result of this belief in evolution per saltum it was not necessary to show the existence of intermediate forms those perplexing missing links in the phyletic series and it also removed the objection that interbreeding would speedily swamp new characters according to the law of averages because physiological isolation which prevents indiscriminate mating would thus be secured while Saint-Hilaire can with justice be called one of the founders of evolution his influence in its development was not as great as that of his contemporaries charles darwin born 1809 died 1882 is beyond doubt the foremost figure in evolutionary history not so much for the originality of his ideas for they had already been largely anticipated by his predecessors but because of the abundant proof with which his statements were accompanied proof based upon thousands of careful observations extending over a long term of years darwin's wonderful development and application of the inductive method making theory everywhere subservient to fact and the clarity and simplicity of his exposition made his arguments irresistible and accomplished what none of those who went before him could possibly have done the wide acceptance of his doctrine not alone by biologists but by thinking men in general while some of the so-called darwinian factors notably that known as sexual selection are to a certain extent discredited in the light of our greater knowledge the fact that darwin's work paved the way for the general acceptance of the truth of evolution puts him at the forefront of the masterminds whose contributions to the science made this acceptance possible the story of darwin's life is well known born on the 12th of february 1809 this emancipator of human minds from the shackles of slavery to tradition saw the light upon the very day that ushered in the life of abraham lincoln the emancipator of human bodies from a no more real physical bondage Darwin studied first at Edinburgh, but finding medicine unsuited to his tastes, entered Christ's College, Cambridge, as a candidate for the Church. His love of nature, however, dominated all other interests, and shortly after graduation an opportunity came to join the ship Beagle as naturalist in a voyage of exploration around the world the five years spent upon this memorable journey the narrative of which is so admirably set forth in the book a naturalist's voyage around the world resulted in the accumulation of the first of darwin's great series of observations the final decision to devote his life to zoological research and the beginning of that illness which made him a lifelong invalid This last factor necessitated a retired life and thus proved of indirect benefit as it enabled him to accomplish the immense amount of work which he did without being impeded by the distractions of a public career. A brief chronology of Darwin's scientific and literary work, which had for its climax the appearance of the epoch making Origin of Species. Is as follows. 1831 to 1836, Voyage of the Beagle. 1837, Beginning of the Notebook for the Collection of Facts Bearing Upon Variation in Animals and Plants. 1838, Read Malthus on Population, and conceived the idea of natural selection as the result of the struggle for existence footnote in this essay malthus shows that while the normal rate of human increase is according to a geometric ratio space and the available food supply remain constant hence it follows that some very active agent or agents must be at work to keep down the surplus population otherwise neither terrestrial space nor food would suffice for their support in a relatively brief period of time footnote 1842 allowed himself briefly to set down his views for the first time 1844 wrote a more elaborate statement of his progress which sets forth the main arguments which were later developed in the origin of the species these embrace the three principal factors of his theory the struggle for existence variation and natural selection of those variations which conform with environmental need he also developed the idea of sexual selection and attached more weight to the influence of external conditions and the inheritance of acquired characters than in the edition of the origin of species in eighteen fifty nine this statement amounting to two hundred thirty pages was set apart together with the sum of four hundred pounds to five hundred pounds with which to publish it in case of the author's sudden death eighteen fifty six sent sir joseph hooker the botanist his manuscript he had now abandoned entirely the factors of buffon and lamarck and placed the utmost reliance upon the efficiency of natural selection as the prime factor in evolution 1858 received from a young man alfred russell wallace born 1822 died 1913 a brief essay embodying a theory of evolution of which as in darwin's case natural selection was the prime factor and strangely enough it was again Malthus' essay read by wallace twelve years before which stimulated the conception at first darwin was inclined out of chivalrous friendship for the young man to suppress his own laboriously elaborated work and to publish Wallace's to the world. Fortunately, the good counsels of his friends Hooker and Lyell prevailed, and as a result a joint paper setting forth the views of both authors was read before the Linnaean Society of London, July 1st, 1, 1858. Then Darwin set to work to write the Origin of Species, which was prepared in a few months and published in eighteen fifty nine in the first edition of the book he takes a somewhat less decided view of the efficacy of natural selection believing it to have been however the principal but not the exclusive agent in evolution selection he says works upon chance variations but by this he does not mean fortuitous in the modern sense but occurring according to laws of which we have no knowledge as a result of his extensive observations upon domestic animals darwin gradually receded from his extreme views concerning the efficacy of natural selection and began to lean more and more toward lamarck's teaching in eighteen seventy six In a letter to Moritz Wagner, he says, When I wrote the origin, I could find little good evidence of the direct action of the environment. Now there is a large body of evidence, and your case of the Saturnia is one of the most remarkable of which I have heard. In the sixth edition of The Origin of Species, in 1880, Darwin gave the final expression of his belief in the following illuminating sentence, This modification of species has been effected chiefly through the natural selection of numerous, successive, slight, favorable variations, aided in an important manner by the inherited effects of the use and disuse of parts. Lamarckian factor and in an unimportant manner that is in relation to adaptive structures whether past or present by the direct action of external conditions Buffonian factor and by the variations which seem to us in our ignorance to arise spontaneously owing to darwin's invalidism and the gentleness of his character he left to others the championing of his cause his chief exponent being thomas henry huxley born eighteen twenty five died eighteen ninety five himself a man of remarkable learning forcible logic and one of the great masters of written and spoken english in every way admirably equipped to fight darwin's battles for him huxley's contribution to biology is therefore not alone his many admirable research productions in recent and fossil anatomy but his service as an educator of the public in commanding the general acceptance of darwin's teaching since darwin's day evolution has been more and more generally accepted until now in the minds of thinking men There is no doubt that it is the only logical way whereby the creation can be interpreted and understood. We are not so sure, however, as to the modus operandi, but we may rest assured that the process has been in accordance with great natural laws, some of which are as yet unknown, perhaps unknowable. The world has been evolved, not created it has arisen little by little from a small beginning and has increased through the activity of the elemental forces embodied in itself and so has rather grown than suddenly come into being at an almighty word what a sublime idea of the infinite might of the great architect the cause of all causes the father of all fathers the ends intium for if we could compare the infinite it would surely require a greater infinite to cause the causes of effects than to produce the effects themselves all that happens in the world depends on the forces that prevail in it and results according to law but where these forces and their substratum matter come from we know not And here we have room for faith. Erasmus Darwin, as interpreted by Weissman. End of chapter 1, History of Evolution, part 2. Recording by Lucretia B.